Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello, friends. Happy Friday. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are talking with Mary Van Geffen, an international parenting coach, parenting educator for overwhelmed moms of strong-willed and spicy children. She's also one of my favorite Instagram follows. She's such a fun, lively, but honest follow about what it's like to be a gentle parent when your children are a little bit spicier. Mary, welcome to the show. Hi. So good to be here. Redhead I'm so excited. Um, so we start the show asking you about a small joy. Is there something that's bringing you a little bit of joy right now? Yes. My son, who is 16, I've got an 18 and a 16-year-old, um, used to say when we'd be like, oh, we're going to play a song. He's like, I don't like music. And we tried to play it chill, but my husband and I would like go into another room and be like, what is psychopath? How do you not like music? <laughs> and now this 16-year-old is introducing me to music. He's taking a guitar lesson willingly, and he is teaching me. Um, he's just discovered Pink Floyd, which is what I grew Aww. up with, but he's doing it drug-free, which I really respect, <laughs> and he's showing me Fleetwood Mac songs I didn't know existed. Oh like There's one called Emerald Whoa. Eyes. It's so good. It doesn't really sound like them, but it's so good, and he's like just was listening to Led Zeppelin the other night, and I was like, okay, oh, it's so hard to not like push myself in there and steal the whole joy from him. But I am taking so much joy that he is loving music and actually bringing me some new information. Yeah. Do you feel like it was like you were like patiently letting them have their process with something versus like, I need to like really introduce you to a ton of music that you're going to love uh, trying to make them into a music lover? Yeah, I do believe so much happens through modeling and osmosis, not what I say mm -hmm. or make them do. So I I trusted that humans like music <laughs> and it would eventually <laughs> happen. But you know, there I won't say there wasn't a little bit of grieving along the way because um dad is a huge music fan and would like suggest in middle school, like, hey, you want to go to a concert? And he's like, no, I don't like music. And he actually still has no desire to go stand shoulder to shoulder with strangers to listen to somebody live. That mm -hmm. may change. Maybe when he's 20, we'll be going together. Who knows? <laughs> I love that. Um, do you, so how did you get into the work that you do? Tell us a little bit about your work and then how did we get here? Yeah. So I, I, my work has primarily been one-on-one -on -one coaching and I've coached hundreds of women. And now I'm in a position where I can't really do that anymore. So I'm creating curriculum, like one hour classes that just kind of how to be calm, 
how to be kind, how to be firm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've got my, my mom's a spicy one, six, eight weeks program. Now I'm sort of an expert in parenting. I wouldn't say I'm an expert in children. Mm-hmm. Um, I know spicy ones really well and how to work with them. And I am a spicy one. And the way I got <laughs> here was failing on my face when I had a, a four and a two-year-old and spending a lot of time not liking my kids and not liking who I was in parenting and just realizing like, wow, I'm out of my depth of skill set. I can't do this. And it's not, it doesn't feel like common sense. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of began on a journey. Yeah. Isn't that an interesting like myth that like, you'll just know what to do. It'll just be so easy and it's animalistic. <laughs> right. And yeah. yeah, it is, it is not for so many people, especially when you bring in, um, well, hormonal disruptions, um, in the mm-hmm. first few years, but then there's also all of the wounding that we're carrying that we thought we healed or we're completely unaware of. And that gets, that really blocks any healthy intuition we would have. Yes. Which brings us to what we're going to talk about today. So well segued, um, it, which is the mother wound. Can we Can we, for anyone at home who's like, what do you mean mother wound? Can we tell them, you know, what, what is it? How does it impact us? Yeah, I I think, and I I wish I had like a succinct definition for mother wound, Mm -hmm. but it's the pain that comes from longing to be in connection with your mother in a way that wasn't or isn't possible. Mm -hmm. And when we um, were parented in a way that left us not feeling completely seen or wanted or valued for who we are. Um, it just colors everything. And we will be talking about something that seems completely unrelated. Like just the other day, um, my older and spicier one was was sort of disrespectful in their tone of voice. And I've done so much work that I let that stuff wash over me because primarily we're very connected. And um, this person is very a respectful and amazing member of society. Okay. They have a, mm-hmm. a job. They're the number one student. They just got into two amazing uh, reach colleges, but they can still be a pain in my butt in the privacy <laughs> of our home. And they had said something and wouldn't do something I needed them to do. And as I walked out of the house, they said, bye, I love you. And there was this mm-hmm. moment, this like time stopped for a second. And I realized The old way of being would have been to keep walking and shut the door and leave them to stew in the silence and the fear that they'd gone too Mm -hmm. far, that they had ruptured something, that that I was mad. And in that moment, that's the mother wound because that's how I would have been treated. And I had to Mm -hmm. say, that's not what I want here. So it it was an Mm -hmm. act of will and it was awkward to say, I love you too. Have a nice day. You know, I said it in the meanest voice I have, but I have a, you know, cause it was not, it wasn't natural yet, but I had yeah. that to me is a, is a glimmering moment of, of, of healing and, and getting a little bit beyond that wound. Mm. Yeah. And do you, so that it's almost like we learn from our, our mother, the most natural way to respond or I guess like the most autopilot way to respond in that moment. Well, and we have yeah, to like, I think, I, I've, I've got to believe that that's, and this is where you step in. That's mm-hmm. sort of our reaction to that becomes part of our, our typing and the Enneagram. 
and the things that a parent says to us over and over again, or doesn't say, or even the energy they bring of like, oh, yes, what do you need? That irritation mm -hmm. creates our internal narrative. So we begin to say, oh, I'm kind of a bother to this person, or I'm too much, or I'm annoying. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. think that, I mean, you tell me, how do you think that might mm -hmm. impact the typing that you get? Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think it is like, or how we just decided to cope with those messages, you know, like I think for, um, you know, for different types, like type, I know we had a question about like, I think I would have been a type one or I would have been a type eight, except for that my mom's voice is in my head as a one. Um, and I think that 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 sense is like, okay, well, do I have to be perfect in order to be okay, in order to be safe here? Or, um, you know, as a seven, the message we receive is, do I, is anyone going to take care of me? No one's going to take care of me. So I'm going to have to figure out how to take care of myself and make myself happy. Um, fours, a lot of times receive the message that like they're too much, that they're too dramatic or they're trying to tell a truth that other people want to hide. <laughs> and so that's, Hello, that's ding, ding, too ding. much. <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up as a child of alcoholics and, and drug users. And I have multiple stories of like, I, when I first read my first Dear Abby, which was like in the newspaper at that time, and it was a little, um, uh, advice article that would come every day. And I wrote a letter saying, you know, my dad smokes pot and it's illegal mm -hmm. and I know he shouldn't do it. What should I do? And they like, were like, you can't send this letter. And so that mm -hmm. feeling of like, but something's not right here and nobody wants to mm -hmm. talk about it is really resonates. Yeah. Like the squeaky wheel, but the, the wheel needs to be greased. Yeah. One time I was at a, um, I love to tell stories about myself, so cut me off. Mm -hmm. But one time I was at my brother's engagement party and somebody's like, who are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm I'm his sister. I'm so-and-so. He's like, oh, yeah, you're the white sheep. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> They're like, you're the one who, who's pretty straight, doesn't uh, party the way everybody else does. And that felt very Enneagram 4 of being different. And it actually, in, in a, another family, that might have been like amazing. But in that family, it sort of put, sets me aside as like being uptight. Yeah. I am yeah. not uptight if you get to know me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it is like, it's interesting too, like that sense of that space between what I, the, the relationship, I like the way you described it, like how I wanted the relationship to my mom to be and kind of the distance between the relationship that was and how, you know, first I think as adult children, how do we manage that? Because I think like, you know, as we grow older, for me, the, the awareness of that has only grown as I am parenting. My awareness of my own wounds have just really skyrocketed. How do we navigate that, like that space, that distance? Mm, I think articulating it. I mean, there's a mm. lot of research that shows that um, what decides whether or not we pass on dysfunctional behavior to our to our children is how much we can articulate what it was like to be little in the house we grew up with in. So if I hear somebody saying, you know what, I was a pain, I was a little terror, I deserved whatever they gave to me. That's somebody who wow. hasn't done any of the work um, because they're still, they're joining in on the bullying of that child and blaming the child. So I, I kind of believe, and I would love to do a poll on this. Maybe we can do it afterwards. Mm -hmm. I believe everybody's got a mother wound. 
Yeah. I, I don't yeah. think that um, that this means my mother was particularly not a good mother. I think there's there's in humanity we have dis- missed bids for affection. Um, mm. You know, we're a human. We're broken. We we say and do things that get interpreted in a, in a way we didn't mean for them, or we think we're repairing and we're actually hurting it even more. So I think this is just part of being in relationship. And I used to parent to try to make sure that my kids didn't end up in therapy. One's already in therapy and I'm so happy for this person that, you know, they're like, that's okay. We can't do it. Yeah, perfectly. It's amazing. Yeah. I think the fact that you're kids in therapy is a sign that they're doing something right or you know like that there's they feel safe to ask for support yes and and sort of explore things mhm um okay so what about the parent whose children are already kind of grown and they feel like you're saying i wounded you i did the best that i could you know that parent who's like like how do we what would the you impression say to you're them? doing of someone sounds <laughs> sounds like they are pretty toxic and unable to receive a repairing mm. conversation. So mm-hmm. a, a lot of I think becoming an adult who's aware we have a mother wound, articulating what what that was like, you know, doing the work to kind of excavate and unearth our story. Then we have to decide: Are the people or the parent that we're struggling with is our mother capable of that conversation? How far? can they go? Um, Mm -hmm. I took, I asked my mom if she would go to see my therapist with me when she was visiting. She's like, I'm here for three weeks and you want me to go see a therapist? I'm like, yes, I do. And (laughs) it was fascinating. And and I'm so thankful that she would do that. Most mothers would not. I think the more they've hurt you, the less likely they have the capacity to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I think some of it is mothering ourselves. And saying, I know this is what you, like coming to terms of what would you love to hear from your mother and how could you say it to yourself? I mean, it depends if you have somebody who's like, listen, I'm, I'm willing, I don't know what you want. And they really are leaning into it. You can literally tell them what you would like them to say. You can train somebody if they want to be trained. But when you're dealing with the person who's like, oh, I'm sorry, I was such a terrible mother or mm-hmm. I already said I was sorry, or why do you always have to keep bringing this up? That person's just not evolved enough. They're not conscious enough to repair with you. And that's very sad. Yeah. It almost feels like we grieve in that space and that, and it is like, it's like a, a, I think like when my father passed, right, it was like a double loss. It was like the grief of losing them, but also the grief of like what I wish we could have had or like the hope of a repair. And yeah, I think that that's, I hear it's like we're, we're grieving now or kind of grieving that hope of repair a little. We're grieving it and we're setting some fierce boundaries Mm -hmm. because it's very possible to keep getting rewounded. And so if you're moving into close proximity with somebody who has no respect or is unable to see you and it's the very person you most want to see you, it, it might be time to um, reduce our contact with that person. And it doesn't have to be this dramatic um, event, but more just becoming less and less available. I, ha- I, have, I had one client who um, would get a daily phone call from a very toxic mother. And she was like, well, I have to take it. You know, she doesn't have anyone else. And through our work, I was like, no, you don't. You can say, I, I, I can talk once a week 
or today's not a good day, or you cannot pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. You have more choice, but it's also like telling somebody in an abusive relationship, why don't you just leave? It's much easier Mm -hmm. said than done. Mm -hmm. Well, I know we had a question from a nine who was asking, how do I set boundaries with my mom? Like, I feel like I have a codependent relationship and I think that is kind of the coping skill. Like the nine fear is how do I, like the fear of loss of connection, like quite directly. Like if I set a boundary, well then we'll be disconnected. Or I think about twos or sixes too, who also feel like, you know, twos feel like if I'm not needed, then no one will love me. Sixes feel like they have to be loyal to their family of origin and because they need to be supported, you know, emotionally or intellectually. And for those who are like, because for me, like I will say like for me, I'm a free bird. Like <laughs> I think of myself as like a lone wolf character who like um, doesn't need anybody. I, got, I can take care of myself, which we're, de- you know, we deal with in therapy, but um, <laughs> we are dealing with that. that- we're dealing with. But like my issue is not like, can I set boundaries? But for those characters, right? Like that nine, that six, that two who feel this sense of like deep loss in a boundary like that. What, what can we say to them to encourage that? Like, it's okay. Like, yeah, I think first off mm -hmm. to name that there's already a disconnect. There's Mm -hmm. already pain happening because every time you're with that person, they're reinforcing your lack of worthiness or They're letting you know how blind they are to who you really are, or you're having to be something you're not, or gulp down Mm -hmm. um, thoughts or feelings because it's not safe to share. So the disconnect's already happened, but you're the one bearing all the weight of it. I don't think you need to be protecting another adult from holding their part of the disconnection. So if if you're wanting to preserve the connection, you have to have these conversations because it's already disconnected. And there's, you know, there's beautiful books on boundary setting and scripts. And sometimes we can have this plan and then I'll, I'll tell on myself, um, my mother a, a year ago was like, why aren't you calling me? Am I that bad of a mother? I just want to talk to my daughter. It was a bunch of like guilty stuff. And I, and this was on the phone and I had this, this decision tree moment these two roads. One was to be like, sorry, I'm sorry. I've just been so busy and take all the blame on me. And yet again, be seen as like, I'm the problem. Um, Or I could tell the truth and, and gamble and see what was going to, what's I, and I know that fear of like, this person can't handle my real truth. They can't handle um, being held to task or held responsible for something. So I might be severing the relationship, but sometimes that's what we have to do to be true to ourselves. And so in that moment, I said, do you really want to hear this? Yeah, of course I want to hear it. You know, tell me what, um, and I'm making her sound like she's from New York. She's not. Um, (laughs) But I said, um, it doesn't feel good to talk to you. I have to be in the right frame of mind. I have to be really up, pumped up, fully whole. If I'm having a down day or I'm feeling depressed, you're not usually a person that can help me in that space. It doesn't feel as safe. And there was a pause where I knew she was either going to be like, well, fine, you know, right? Or she was going to lean in and she happened to lean in. And I don't think Mm -hmm. I used the special words for her to do that. I -hmm. think, uh, yeah, I I think that that was specific to that situation and those people. But then I proceeded to, to give examples when you say, well, that may well be, or I don't know anything about that, or, um, let's move on. I feel really shut down in that moment. 
what I'd rather hear you say is, tell me more or what's that like Mm. for you? Or I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, I'm here for you. I gave her like three different things a fully emotionally mature person could say if they really wanted Mm -hmm. to support somebody. So I asked specifically for what I wanted. Um, But I mean, there's a good chance when you do that, the person's going to say no. Mm -hmm. And when you set a boundary, it's not like, oh, Great. That's done. All, you yeah. are starting the work. You set the boundary. They're going to do it like you want maybe one or two times, and then they're going to revert to their mm-hmm. old way of being. And um, so in that initial conversation, I asked for permission. Is it okay if it happens again that I pointed out to you? Yes. Yes, it's okay. And then I had the opportunity to do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, did you hear what you just said? Oh my gosh, I'm doing it, aren't I? Yes. Thank you for noticing it. You know, and then you got to put lots of honey on that sandwich. Thank you so much. It means so much to me that you're willing to look at your your part in this and to and to make some shifts. Mm-hmm. That reminds think me about so all that. Well, it reminds me so much of that. I, there's like that quote that says like boundaries aren't about limiting connection. They're about maintaining connection and, and just everything that you are doing while it's like unfortunate the amount of effort you have to put in to have that dynamic, it's like you're you're creating space for connection. You're allowing them to learn what being con- in connection with you can look like. Yes. And it actually made me want to start calling her weekly. It felt like yeah. it was a safer environment that I was walking into willingly. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So if I am a mom, right. Or as a, as a parent, like how do I, I think people at home are like, well, I don't want to quit create any wounds in my child. Mm. Um, and I imagine there's not a guarantee that, I mean, I think we all will make wounds. I'm sure. What can we do to not repeat those cycles? Okay. I love this question. And if you're asking this question, you're 50% there because <laughs> I don't think my mother asked, ever asked herself that. I don't know if yours did. So no. it's beautiful that you are the type of parent that is consciously and intentionally thinking about your impact on this child and their well-being and, and your connection and all that. So that's gorgeous. I think a lot of it is going to be repair because you are going to mess up. Um, mm-hmm. There are nuanced things that we do like, oh, I like that. Ooh. I'm so proud of you. We we do center ourselves a lot. Um, and I think that can be a subtle way of wounding somebody without realizing it. Instead, we can say, do you like that? You seem mm. proud of yourself. Or what do you think? We can put it back so they aren't constantly starved for us to mirror back that they're okay, um, mm-hmm. I think is one thing. But the repair to me is so powerful. Being calm is so powerful. Being somebody who's safe to be kind of a disaster with. Like if you think about it right now, if, if you're listening, there's just a handful of people that you could call sobbing um, and unable to find your words or who you could call right after you were fired or broken up with or in a car crash because they are safe. They're not going to get triggered themselves and get super hyper vigilant and anxious. They're not going to suddenly get angry at you and yell at you because you're um your hurt is is something they can't tolerate. So being that person that can calm yourself down and regulate yourself. So because we don't know what's coming our way. There's there, I can't we can't talk through each situation that might happen. So being able to calm yourself and have a a, a neutral face and a receiving nervous system no matter what's happening, that's huge. And something thankfully that's a 
skill we can work on. You're not born having a great nervous system or not. I mean, Enneagram nines are pretty, pretty easy to be around, but um, some of them are greatly repressed and are angry. But um, <laughs> so the getting calm, the not centering yourself, I'm just making these things up. I love this. I'm coming up with a curriculum, but the, the repair part, I just want to dig into for a second. When you hurt your child, which you will all the time, mm-hmm. instigating, moving towards them to repair is so important. And repair doesn't look like, do you forgive me? That's you centering mm. yourself again. Doesn't matter if they forgive you. That's that's putting more onus on the you know victim in the situation. So it's mm-hmm. more, hey, I did this thing, naming it specifically, and then asking them, you know, and saying, I'm sorry, I don't want to be that way with you. You don't deserve that. You deserve to feel safe. Mm-hmm. And here's the expert level way of repairing is saying, what was that like for you? Mm. Now, a lot of kids are going to be like, oh, it's it's fine because they need you to Mm -hmm. seem in their eyes like you're never at fault because you are their protector. And there's just sort of something going on there with young children and they can't really hold that there's something um, not right with you because that means they're not safe. So they might not save. So you can use the words for them. I bet it was scary. I bet it it didn't feel good to see me yelling at you or... I bet you're disappointed you couldn't talk about that with me. I'm sorry. And then you're naming how you're going to change. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I am, I'm working to be a mom who speaks gently even when she's upset. I don't want to be a yeller. So I'm working on this. Um, making sort of a pronouncement of where you're moving towards because there's nothing worse than someone who keeps apologizing for the same thing, but they're not doing any work to change it. That's true. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What would you add? You, you were parented once. What's important about... <laughs> I think the change is really what I keep thinking about because my mom is very, very good at owning her participation in my childhood. Like she will take full credit for the chaos that I grew up in. And I can say to her, this is how that impacted me. This is how it feels. And she'll say, I totally get that. I'm so sorry. But she hasn't changed Mm. ever. And so it's still just as exhausting to like – it's like we're repeating the patterns. If I if I don't have boundaries, then nothing will change, you know? And and the change isn't necessarily her. I have given up on that. It's more like my how much I'm impacted by that. Um so I think the change is really important, but it also reminded me I can remember the first time I ever said I'm sorry to my kid. And it was just like this moment where he didn't want to go into a loud restaurant. It was really loud. He was like I just don't want to eat inside but it was too cold to eat outside. We were trying to have a special day. And I was like, for whatever reason, annoyed that he like wouldn't eat inside and like was just kind of like, okay, well, let's just get our pizza to go. Um, And then we like got our pizza to go and we got to the car and I was like, I'm sorry. (laughs) Like this is the, the least bit important thing in the world. Like you feeling uncomfortable in a space. Like I want you to feel like you can trust your body and you can listen to like what feels good in a space, what feels bad in a space. And I want to have fun with you. And like, that's the whole point. So like making you feel bad for not enjoying something is weird. 
and totally my Enneagram type mm. showing and that's up. That's a beautiful story and it's a very gentle story. So I want to tell a violent story because I think there are some people listening who are like, that's what you did that you had to apologize for? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I dragged my, um, I was serving my five-year-old a snack while they're three-year-old brother was sleeping and you know how the, the nap is so crucial. It's their time. So. It's, it's a little bit of peace in your day. And she was yelling because her um, sweet potatoes were touching her chicken sausage and she was amping up and I was like, stop it, stop it. You know, and I was gritting my teeth and my monster came out. And before I knew it, I had dragged her back to her room and locked the door um, with the um, you know, the little eye hook and, you know, cut to an hour or two later, she wasn't in the room an hour or two, but cut to us both calm. And I knew I needed to repair that because that's, I don't want her to, um, see that as, is how as normal treatment of another human being. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that instance, we made a, a healing book and I am a big proponent with preschoolers and maybe K through second grade of writing out the story to give them words because we kind of embed things in our body when we don't have movement or words to metabolize them. And so we did the the day, the day the sweet potatoes touched the, um, the sausage and it was, you know, she got very upset. Mommy got very upset. Mommy dragged her to her room. It didn't feel good to Yaya's body. Yaya was sad. Then, and you always want to end on this, then the stars came out. Even if it's not factual, you want to end on what you wish would have happened um, Mm -hmm. because you're helping them sort of, it's helping both of you visualize and and make memory of this new state you're you're going towards. So I think the end of this book, it was like, um, and then mommy said, I'm so sorry, your body deserves to feel safe. And she hugged her and she promised to touch her gently. And this little girl wanted to read that. She just ran me through the coals wanting to read that like every day, six times a day. Uh, Thankfully, we've locked it by now that she's 18. (laughs) Well, I think there's something so stunning in that because I think for a lot of like us who grew up with parents who weren't emotionally mature, weren't willing to do the work, that that sense of just sitting with what has happened is inconceivable, right? Like for so many people I know who have parents who they can't repair with, it's like the idea of just sitting and and reiterating like this is what occurred. I can like watch them like push that away, ignore it, say like kind of almost like pitching a fit, like I don't want to look at this. And there's so much – it's not like we have to be perfect. It's And and the reason I would say that 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 – person is like, uh-uh, I can't look at this is mm-hmm. starts with a complete lack of self-compassion. So mm-hmm. they are, they're coming from a worldview of I am either all right and acceptable, or I am terrible and awful and ashamed and shameful. And so when you have no compassion, you can, and like, I have so much compassion for that, you know, 33 year old version of me that was overwhelmed by the, the, the audio terrorism of, uh, of young people and sleep deprived, like I feel for her. And mm-hmm. she, she, she was still evolving and learning. But if I didn't have compassion for her, I wouldn't want to talk mm-hmm. about that. Because if you yeah. know about that, you might reject me and I might get kicked out of the human family. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think like, I'm interested. One of the things we talk about with the Enneagram too, is like what we reject in ourselves, we reject in others. 
And I think about for me that that's like my inability to feel like I always for most of my life it was like I have to be happy I have to enjoy things I have to be satisfied um and it took me forever to really realize like oh my gosh like I limit that in my kid unconsciously like they're they're sad and I'm like let's just think about things that are good let's think about what we're grateful for like what you have a roof over your head we have you know and it's like whoa 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 <laughs> Like, well, maybe they just need to feel their feelings. And, and I think about that, like that one, that one kind of type structure where it's like, I have to be morally perfect. I have to do the right thing. I have to, and if I fail and kind of like how easy that is to put on to another person. And, you know, I think we all do that in our own special ways. Yeah. I want to add to your quote. We'll make it a two part quote. Mm -hmm. What we, what are mother rejected in us, we reject mm. in ourselves. That's Mary's part. And your part is what we reject in ourselves, we reject in others. And that's a beautiful depiction of this back and forth ladder of wounding, generational you know, cursing that we get to break when we bring self-compassion and start to love what we've considered mm. the least desirable parts of us. Mm. That's so good. So Mary, for people at home who are like, okay, I rec- I want to recognize that I have a mother wound. I don't want to repeat those patterns. What's like one place to start? I think it would be journaling out, putting on paper, or if, if you just can't handle that, then you could sit with a trusted friend or even record yourself telling the story of, of what hurt when you were little without... <laughs> the toxic positivity, but I was lucky. We had a roof over our head. None of that. Mm -hmm. What Mm -hmm. hurt when you were little? What was it like to be little? Just maybe start with the facts and then put it away for a couple days, come back to it and maybe rewrite it with compassion for that little person. Mm. What, what if, if that were your child going through that or, uh, yeah. And then the last thing is get a picture of yourself at the age that was hard for you. And think about three to four um, words that would describe just the beauty of this little human and mm. put her somewhere where you can see her and begin to just sort of love on her and, and, and give her like, I would have, when I was unhealed, I would have taken a picture of myself and writ- written bossy, dramatic, um, weird, you know, I would have written all these things. I, so I want you to choose beautiful words um, Mm -hmm. about the beauty of this child. And then just start spending time with her by literally like have her where you make your coffee or put her on your medicine cabinet and take a moment just to be hi cutie and thinking about her and loving on her. That's mothering her and mothering yourself. And that begins to sort of um, dissolve some of the, the way that we see ourselves as our mother saw us, which in a lot, for a lot of us would not be a healthy and compassionate worldview. Mm-hmm. And I know there are people at home who are like, okay, I need to, um, I probably need to learn from this person or I would like to join in on one of those classes you talked about. How can we stay informed about future things that you're doing, future events? Mm. Well, I'm posting on Instagram every day. If you're an Instagram person at, at Mary Van Geffen, right now when this um, podcast drops, I, I have a class about the mother wound. Um, haven't written it yet, but it's it's forming in my brain and that's near Mother's Day. So um, come check that out or just go to my mm-hmm. website, Mary Van Geffen 
com, And there is a one hour class for pretty much each sort of foundational thing that a parent needs to be calm, to be kind, to be firm, uh, to feel good enough. And, and mm-hmm. also you could join my newsletter where every Friday I'm giving a tip for parenting a spicy one. Awesome. And we'll link everything down below so y'all can get to all of that easily and connect with Mary. Um, Thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with me. It was so nourishing and supportive. Mm, Just being with you is nourishing. I'm jealous of your listeners. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.